Pretty Mental is about accepting our full selves and inspiring others to do the same by being daringly unfiltered. This means completely normalizing all things mental health and the wild journey that has brought us here. We are challenging the stigmatization of normal human suffering, and we are done pretending and subscribing to the notion that it is taboo to have challenging mental health experiences. Welcome to the Pretty Mental Health Club, and enjoy the show. Hey, Valentina. Hey, Paula. And hello, everybody. And welcome to another episode of Pretty Mental. So. Dun, dun, dun. Today. It's one of the most vulnerable, raw, and honest podcasts we have done so far. Yeah. So we kind of laid a good bit of it on the line for you guys in this one and took you through our personal journeys with eating disorders and body dysmorphia and it was it's been quite a long journey both living through it and the process of healing it and where we're at now moving forward we also talked about common patterns that take place in eating disorders and how they're actually extremely similar to OCD yeah and so this is something that I find really valuable to recognize when it comes to treating eating disorders and to the ways in which we move through eating disorders in our own life. So we kind of unpack all that for you guys, dive into it, and try to present it in a way that you guys can hopefully get the most value out of both what we've lived through and what we have learned along the way. We are super excited to share this as you will here throughout the podcast let us know what you guys think about this if you have any follow-up questions any insights just overall what you think of this helped you if you think we missed anything we just want to know it was a very vulnerable conversation that we had and we would we would love to hear your thoughts so open dialogue all around and as always take in a deep breath with us And tune in. So I just had a therapy session. Woo, woo, woo. I don't even know how it went. I know because we literally just ended and I wouldn't tell Paul. I told her I was going to tell her on the podcast. Mm-hmm. I loved it. You did? Yeah. I couldn't believe it because oh. I am, I've had a few, I've tried out a few therapists and I have just not been a fan. I've always felt like. Again, like I said in the last podcast, they were just very neutral. All they did was listen. They didn't have that much insight to give back. I felt like I was giving more insight than them. And I even had a few therapists be like, you you like, or you know yourself pretty well. And, and I would always feel like, well, I'm here because like. I want you to point out the stuff will, that I'm not seeing. Right. And well, Didn't you call out one of your therapists one time? Yeah, I did. I the one. This that, is so funny to me. This is such an Aries valentina thing she was just staring at me she wasn't saying anything and i was like i don't remember exactly what i said but i just said you know are you quiet because you want me to keep talking or are you quiet because 
like do you don't have anything to say i just need to know where we're standing here because she was mute for like she was too much of like for, of a blank canvas for way for too many minutes she was quiet and i needed some feedback so i asked for it listen i, I just wouldn't do that to my clients if i want something i'm gonna ask for it and this lady i love her first of all she is latin latina and we we were just saying in our last podcast how our culture tends to be a little more warm than what we've experienced here in the U.S. And not to say that there is not a lot of warm people in the U.S. because there definitely is. Um, there's a lot of beautiful hearts here. It's just that in general, those Latin cultures just tend to be warmer. It's that collectivist tropical environment that just generates that type of environment. We'll see how our therapy sessions go because it was, it's only our first one, but I got a really good read and I, she comes from a more spiritual perspective, which is something that I've been looking for, for a really long time. Not just someone who knows what they've studied from the textbooks, but someone who's actually done the digging within themselves and has gone on, has, what's, what's the past tense for dive? Dove, dove it has has gone really deep into the depths of their own soul and the shadows of themselves and and really has come out with a lot of insight and she's like that you feel that immediately and i can tell with her we were just like spitballing back and forth back and forth talking that is beautiful it was amazing and she even she's someone who she kept pointing out over and over i'm not gonna come from up here and she kept pointing to her her head she said i'm not only going to come from up here because it's limited and she would point to her heart and her gut and and she said i'm coming from here and here my heart and my gut because that's unlimited and that's where a lot of insight comes so i'm a very intuitive person and i'm going to let you know what comes up for me and obviously if it's wrong you can pull it out uh, Mm because you know yourself more than i know you but that's just what i i'm just going to tell you what's coming up i'm going to tell you what's coming up and it was amazing. It was amazing. I'm so excited to talk, keep talking to her. See, I feel like I need that. I feel like I need a therapist that comes at me with, I can see their identity and their personality right away. Fully. That there's a solid backbone there that you're going to guide me from a heart-led place. It's not that you're going to take up the whole space in a session, but you're not going to no. be afraid to guide me. And that's the other thing. She had a really good balance of being passionate with her words, but not taking over. She would go stay quiet and, and allow me to take over. It's such so an art. It was such a dance. But I, I do. I, and this might come from our fire sign influence. I need somebody that comes in strong. Yeah. I really do. I yeah. don't want to feel like I am because I will easily start guiding that session. Yeah. So that's awesome. That's um, really cool. Yeah, I'm so excited with it. And she, like, she, I can tell she feels the same about me. And she said in her practice, she said, I'm at a point in my life where I can choose my clients. I'm very fortunate of that because she's been in the game for a hot minute. And she said, basically, in so many words, that she was excited to keep working with me. Oh, that's so amazing. I know. I just had my first therapy session with a new therapist last week, and I'm really debating what's going to end up happening, but just hearing your story and how much you, it's kind of like dating. It really, I swear to God, I'm like, I'm excited for our next meeting. Uh, It's so amazing to believe in the person that you are opening up your psyche to. 
I've never had that experience. I have never had a good therapist. Somebody that you aligned with. Never, never. Because I always thought you. Because maybe they might have been good for somebody. Maybe for somebody. It it just felt very sterile, very like another doctor. Like we were, it was someone else that I was seeing in the medical field with a notepad. It wasn't someone that was like, all right, girl, I'm going to get real with you. And this is what's up. This is. What I know, this is what I see. This is, I understand that you're more than just a human. You're a complex spirit. This is the conversation that we're going to have. And that's. That is amazing. I will say though, in the beginning of talking to her, Leah. My cat. Yo, I've had it with Leah. (laughs) I really have. So Leah's obsessed with drinking out of cups. That aren't her bowl. That aren't her bowl. So So human cups. Meaning our cups. (laughs) Meaning my cups. And Paula will let her drink out of her cup because that's her daughter. And don't I judge me. think it's gross. I don't I don't drink after her. Yes, she I can't does. say that yeah, I haven't. You do. <laughs> yeah, you do. Don't lie. She I for me it's gross. The second I see her tongue hit my cup, I just um, immediately see her tongue licking her butt. No. Paula. I don't see th- I barely drink anything. <laughs> It's just gross. So anyway, I'm in the middle of talking with my therapist or in the beginning of talking with my therapist and my cup is out there. Leah comes in and starts drinking from my cup and I couldn't focus for the first like three minutes of speaking with my therapist because all I was fantasizing about was spiking my water with alcohol or vinegar. It was like vicious. <laughs> I was like, I have to do something. This is I've, this is my third cup of water I've thrown out today. I can't It's so it. crazy. I don't understand her. I'm going to get her a cat fountain. I'm going to get her a spray bottle and spray her no, every time she tries to drink. No spraying allowed. I, I wonder what kind of mom I'm going to be. I hate punishing. I'm not. A, I don't think I'm a good discipliner. I mean, it might be different with a human. Maybe. With a little, I love animals and I do treat them as humans, but man, I got to draw the line somewhere. Well, yeah, I mean, that's fair. That's fair. We'll report back with Leah's drinking habits for those of you who might be interested. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get her a water fountain. That's the thing. And I'm going to buy Valentina covered water glass. It's the worst. We'll figure this out. So, therapy in session. That's Today exciting. We, we want, yeah, I'm so, I'll keep reporting back with things that I learn and hopefully it keeps going good. Yeah. And I'll let you guys know my experience too. Mine, my thing is that mine was pretty just kind of quiet the whole entire time. And again, not necessarily what I'm looking for. So I'm going to give it another try and see if not, I may have to switch it up and go on another therapy date. Are y'all looking for therapists? If you have any questions, we have a good IGTV video on how to find a therapist on the Pretty Mental official Instagram account. Paula made it. Yeah. Also, I want to hear what you guys' experiences with therapy have been. We're going to post a little uh, little question, fill in the box thing on Pretty Mental later because I really want to hear what you guys are um, experiencing with therapists out there. Anyways, transitioning over to what we wanted to talk about today. We wanted to talk about bodies, our relationship with our bodies, society's relationship with our bodies, female bodies, human bodies. Our relationship to food, because they go hand in hand. We've had quite a journey with this. Yeah. So first of all, we're women, she, her identified. And in Colombia, the culture that we come from. I don't know, man. I'm starting to really think about the they pronoun. 
because Valentina is now they. I'm serious. It makes so much sense. There's multiple spirits existing within one body. Yeah, I felt that. I, I tell every client because I work with I do a lot of parts work. None of us ever. For example, if we're in one environment, we might act one way. If we're with our parents, we might act one way. And if we're with our coworkers, we might act one way. When we're deciding whether or not to make a decision, it's usually there's a part of me that wants to do this. And there's a part of me that wants to do that. There's a part of me that wants to call this person. There's a part of me that knows I shouldn't. So it's parts, right? We're not, it, There's multiple situations going on inside of us. And when I work with clients, I, it's actually highly recommended to talk to yourself out loud. And this is actually something I recently learned is that talking to yourself out loud and actually saying your name, being like, okay, Paula, now we're going to do this and it's going to be okay. And then we're going to do that other thing because it activates your social brain. So we're pretty responsive to it. Anyways, that and whole tangent. I, I identify with she because I just do. Yeah. But it makes so much sense to me, they, because I also identify with masculinity and feminine. I'm masculine with all... All genders and no genders, because to me, gender really is just a construct. So I fully get it. Anyway, y'all can keep calling me she. I interrupted you. No, I mean, I get that. I've mentioned it to you before, too, that to me, those individuals who are choosing to start identifying as they, in my mind, just from my spiritual, what I align with spiritually, it feels more authentic to the truth. And that's what a lot of tribes do. A lot of gods, a lot of religions have gods that are female and male existing within one entity. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. I'm not always the same Paula. Who is Paula? She's many things. Anyways. So our culture, Colombian culture, we women, there's a lot of pressure on us to stay, to be visually appealing and people experience that here in the U.S. too but we're just going to speak to our perspective on this and along with that let's see where can we start this this (laughs) journey of exploration we so you it hit you earlier than it hit me okay so I I remember being aware of your body and that it was supposed to look a certain way starting in third grade yeah so I was eight years old and I started skipping breakfast because no I started skipping breakfast at nine but when I was eight years old I remember that I started becoming very hyper aware of my body and at some point I I decided I had a double chin oh my god all I remember (laughs) is being a little girl sitting in the back seat hearing tengo una papa (laughs) papaya papaya papaya's double chin in spanish and so what i would do is i would look at myself in the mirror and squeeze my chin up against my neck and if there was any skin showing you know how when you do that some skin kind of folds over and then i would just start crying because i thought i had a double chin and i wasn't as pretty as the other girls and then in fourth grade i started skipping breakfast and i remember my parents caught on and they're like why are you skipping breakfast and then I think it was either in fifth grade or middle school. That's when I started dieting and I would do some crazy diets because what was really popular back then was, for example, the Atkins diet and the protein diet. Some people still do that now. Um, So I would see the adults doing it. 
And it wasn't discouraged for me to do it because it was normalized, especially in the Latin culture, at least the side of it we experienced. And I sometimes would, this was crazy. I would go sometimes an entire week only eating string cheese, not getting any other kind of nutrients in. So, I mean, essentially I would lose weight, but then what what started happening is that then I would binge. And so this is... Those of you who have experienced disordered eating know very well that whenever you practice restricting, eventually the pen, always, it's only, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, the pendulum is going to swing over to the other side and you're going to binge because your body and your psyche start to feel like you're experiencing a famine, like you're experiencing starvation mode. And so like, and so what, what do animals do when they know that that's about to happen? They eat a ton. It's instinctive. So you're kind of setting yourself up for this yo-yo cycle, man. And that was draining, honestly. I experienced it pretty heavily until, ironically, until I got to college, which is when a lot of uh, women, in my experience, report that they start having disordered eating with the freshman 15 and all that kind of stuff and with the drinking and just the habits that go on in college. But for me, it was the opposite because I had a dining hall. I went to UGA and the dining hall had all kinds of food options. And for the first time in my life, for some reason, I started giving myself permission to eat whatever I wanted and I would just work out and something. And and that started to regulate me over time. And it hasn't, I can't say that the disordered eating instincts are completely gone, but I know how to nip them in the butt now. Like I know how to navigate them. So for example, one thing that I tell myself now is that I'm not allowed to diet because the moment that the psychology of diet or just the energy of diet enters my experience, I start wanting to indulge and I know I know that about myself now. So even if, for example, let's say I eat a little bit more one day, that's fine. That's it. That's just what it's going to be. But the dieting is not going to happen. And so eventually when you do that and kind of set that up for yourself, you end up having you end up creating a lifestyle. And if you can't diet, this has been my experience. I then I don't stay in a place of obsession about food. So that is, that's basically the nitty gritty of my experience with disordered eating and dieting. I'm, I really do believe that just like a lot of these other quote unquote mental health disorders, dieting and, or not dieting, like uh, eating disorders yeah, and body dysmorphia, that does not come naturally so I don't think I was ever supposed to have that I think that the society gave it to me I believe that because I was a very free and happy child until the first time I don't don't know when the first time was I just remember all of a sudden I started I would always see adults in my life call their bodies out and not be happy with how they look but I thought that was like an adult thing to do to do yeah so it didn't worry me it didn't make me think that my body should be perfect I just thought that's just what adults do when they grow up they critique their bodies and then you did it too and I remember you doing it and I thought maybe that's a teenage thing to do they critique their bodies and people always made comments about how much I ate but it never got to me 
Um, everyone was really worried. You always had such an appetite. <laughs> everyone was really worried about how much I used to eat. But it, I just ate when I wanted, didn't when I didn't want to. It was very normal, you know, as it should be until society hits you. And then I remember I started modeling and... Was that in high school? Uh, so around the same time that I started modeling was around the same time that I remember, like it was yesterday, a girl in my high school pulled me over and told me that if I didn't start watching how many snacks I was eating after my main lunch, I was going to get fat one day. She pulled you aside to tell you that? She, I mean, she was like a friend. She was just like, you know, you're going to have to start looking at your calories. Because I would have lunch and then I would go back for like a few more things <laughs> and then I would go back for a few more things. And then I, th- I guess it was just stressing her out. And she taught me what a calorie was and she taught me like the specifics. And I was like, what? What even is this science experiment sounding thing? And then when I was modeling, they told me that my hips were too wide. And that was the first time because my dream was to be a model. I would watch America's Next Top Model all the time. And I was naturally a taller, leaner kid. So you get those comments of people around you telling you that that's what you need to do. So Mm -hmm. I just thought I was meant for it. And then in that modeling agency, it was one that was it was elite. And they were here in Atlanta and that was a big one at the time. And that was the one that all the models were signed to in America's Next Top Model. And out of a group of 30 people, they chose me. And then they told me, but we can only continue to put you into jobs if your hips get smaller. That's so crazy because guys, her hips were small. I was tiny. That's Mm-mm-mm. so it's but I didn't know better. So having someone tell me that I, I didn't. I just listened. And that was the first time I started starving myself where I would only because you taught me. Oh, my God. I, I just had the moment right before you said that something flashed in my brain. I was like, wait a second. You taught me how to do it. She was asking. Oh, that's so bad. It's so bad. I was just like, how do I lose weight? They need me to lose weight. And Paul was like, only eat carrots. Why? That's what I said. Yeah. So I did. And then I, I almost passed out at, at work. I was like a hostess at a, a Mexican restaurant and I almost passed out. And I was like, I cannot do this shit anymore. This is miserable. Oh, my gosh. And my parents got so mad at you. I remember that. Oh, my God. This is coming back to me in flashes. I got in trouble as an older sister. I know. But after that happened, I I went in a cycle where once I started, like you, starving myself. Yeah. The second as animal nature instincts come in is, you know, and an animal is hunting out in the wild and it's it's snowing and freezing and they don't find food for a while. And all of a sudden they see a bush with a few berries. They're going to eat all the fucking berries. You're going to gobble it up because you don't know when the next time your body doesn't know it's in starvation. mode. Yeah. And then also your mind, if your mind is saying this is a bad food, so this is the only time you're not going to get to eat this again tomorrow. There's that mentality of, oh, well, I better get my fill now. So I had all of these restrictions being placed upon me that in order to be accepted and this dream of modeling and in order to be accepted by my peers who were now like hounding me about how much I was eating and society was telling me that I had to look a certain way in order for all of that, you know, to be well, I had to not eat certain things and I had to start restricting myself. And I also had Colombian family members telling me that if I wanted my husband to love me I had to look a certain way. So in my mind, I knew the answer, right? 
I had to be a skinny stick with small hips. And the crazy thing is, is I was already a skinny stick with small hips. But when they put this image inside of you, I started to, again, I started to starve myself. So then when I did see food, I would, that's when my binging started. I would binge because I didn't know when I was going to be able to eat again. And then I would starve because that shame after a binge, you, you're like, I can't believe I just ate this much. Nobody can see me. I don't want anyone to see me. And I kind of touched about, touched on this in the last podcast. I started developing a, a true shame around my appearance because I was convinced that the only way to fit in and to be acceptable in society was to to be accepted for my body and when I felt like I had eaten too much or done something bad I would feel too much shame to leave my room so then I started cutting myself off from even going out in public what do you what would you tell people because I know people of every age struggle with that still that they will isolate themselves and take away their own right to socialize or to go to a beach or to be in certain environments because they might be a few pounds heavier. So I started noticing the level of pain that that was all causing me. And I, you know, I'm really like distilling this down in quick sentences, but it was actually like a lot of years that I went. It's many years. It was many years that I went through that pain I it was a pain that I incarcerated myself in this very small world and where I only could be loved and accepted if I looked one way and I didn't the thing with eating disorders is you even no matter how much you do starve yourself or how like skinny you get your worth is attached to something that is unobtainable it's no longer just about losing weight it's about uh, this unobtainable image of perfection of perfection so it becomes that's when it becomes a real disorder so I felt I mean I remember crying and yelling at my dad being like I need help like I can't I'm stuck in a cycle and I don't even know where to look I'm too deep in it's not about just like regulating your habits anymore this is touched into my psyche and I cannot operate like a regular human anymore and I have to keep eating because that's how you live that's the tricky part about eating disorders, right? If you if you've struggled with substance abuse and substances are destroying your life, it's not necessarily easy to abstain, but you don't need to let's say if alcoholism is what you've struggled with, you don't need to have a little sip of alcohol every day to keep your body going. So you can just do the black and white thing a little bit more and just leave it alone. But with eating, Every day you wake up and you have to eat. Every social to. gathering. Yeah, it's how people connect with each other. And I I realized that I I just could not keep going in that way. I really couldn't. And I actually checked myself into a facility. Not where you you didn't sleep there, but Oh, it was it was um it was outpatient. Outpatient. Yeah. So you just, you would go often. I would go often. But you didn't live there, stay there. And I didn't, know. And I, but I hated it. I don't think they did a good job. Again, it was one of, it was sterile. Very, so freaking sterile and rigid <sighs> that I almost felt like I was helping the people who were helping me. This sterile thing, man. It wasn't, it was very cold. It was heartless. There was a lack of love. It wasn't. It didn't feel right. So I stayed there for a while because I just didn't know how else to get help. But then I decided I'm going to take this into my own hands because I had to get out of it. 
it was it was it's probably one of the hardest things I've ever gone through because it for anyone who has ever gone through an eating disorder, you know. I remember being like it takes over your entire life. I remember being like, I don't want to live if this keeps going because I no longer can function on this planet being like this. I can't see it, it takes you away from friends. It takes you away from family. It takes you away from it becomes an like an obsession. It does. So they, so here is um, here's the interesting thing about eating disorders because I work with OCD and I experience <clears throat> my throat is so raspy and I experience eating disorders myself and our family has a background of OCD. So I have lived experience of all of this and I have intellectual education experience of all of this and eating disorders very much follow the OCD pattern because you have an obsession and then you have a compulsion. Typically with when we talk about OCD, whatever the obsession is varies a ton depending on the person. So it could be your health, it could be death, it could be are your doors closed because you know you might not you might be in danger. It could be your emails have to be written perfectly, whatever that is. And then the compulsion is what you do in order to get rid of the anxiety that the obsession is giving you. Eating disorders, in my experience, are very much a form of OCD, but the obsession, the content is food and your body. That's why also body dysmorphia, which is also along the lines of all of this, is in the DSM, they place it right next to the OCD because it's very similar. I'm surprised they don't put eating disorders right in that same chapter because it's all very similar patterns, which is I'm the obsession. The content could be I'm not thin enough. You know, my body's not perfect. And the compulsion is what do you do to get rid of the anxiety that that's giving you? So that could be I'm going to starve myself, which eventually leads you to breaking and binging, or I'm going to throw up, or I'm going to exercise like a maniac, I'm going to revolve my whole life around this. And when you stop engaging in that compulsion, the thing that you do to get rid of the anxiety around the thoughts of your body and your food, when you stop engaging in that compulsion, you're going to experience discomfort at first. And you just have to kind of escalate your tolerance for a little bit of that discomfort. When it comes to our body, Increasing that tolerance has a lot to do with also challenging the societal norms that we have at some point been conditioned with and subconsciously accepted. Yes, a million percent to that. And that is when you ask me like what, so what really started helping me was I started noticing certain things that I did, the compulsions, whenever I had a thought or whenever I walked by a mirror and I started not allowing myself to look in the mirror. So, yeah, you were practicing ERP on yourself. Yeah. I started not allowing myself to weigh myself. Because those are all the things that you would do to kind of attenuate the anxiety around it, right? And enable, and that would enable the It would just disorder. create, it would continue a cycle, essentially. So you realize that by stopping those things, you were kind of breaking the cycle. Yeah, and I remember you telling me, because I would talk to you about it and you telling me the only advice that you could continuously give me was do not restrict yourself to anything. And to me, that was like the scariest thought because that, what do you mean? I'm just going to become like this obese person that everyone is going to hate, essentially. You know, like I won't be accepted and I won't, I'll be out of control. If That's, I eating disorders have so much to do with control. Yeah. 
if I don't restrict. But I started, I, I told myself, I'm like, well, how I'm going now is shit. So I'm just, I'm going to do it. And when I started doing all those things, I'm talking about not looking at the mirror. Like the second I would get out of the shower, I would turn around. Like I would not look at the mirror. Yeah. I wouldn't look at, I wouldn't allow and, and I told myself, I'll allow myself to look at the mirror once I'm able to accept my full self again. And the mirror one is an interesting thing. That's why when you're kind of crafting an exposure and response prevention plan for OCD or even eating disorders, it has to be so individualized because at some point for a lot of people, part of the therapy becomes looking in the mirror. But you knew that in order to break your cycle, you had to stop for a while. I had to stop doing all the things that was going to tell me that I wasn't good enough essentially. And I, one of the biggest ones was not restricting. So I told myself no matter what, if I binge or if I, what I, I will not restrict and no food group is out of the question. And I'm going to eat exactly what I want when I want. And I might gain weight for a while, but that's fine. I'm just going to allow my body to do what it needs to do because I knew it. I just always knew it. Like this is, I'm not supposed to have this. You've always said that. This is not mine. It does not belong to me. Mine started so young that I, I don't think like that, but I completely agree with you. I don't think any of us are born. Yeah. <laughs> Baby's not going to complain about being fat. No. And I started, I would make myself put on bikinis and, and I even had family members tell me like, it's crazy how you walk around here in your bikini when your body's not perfect. Me too. And, but I would be like, you know what? My body is perfect. And I became like a rebel. About we, it. I, I became a rebel about it. We kind of trained our whole family. <laughs> I have, I have a, I have other Latin friends and they always, they talk about this because it's such a part of our culture. People feel in the U.S. I've noticed people tend to be a little more politically correct and how they navigate this in general. I don't know how everyone's individual families are, but in the Latin culture in general, even your grandma feels the right and your uncle everyone feels the right to comment on how your body looks fully fully so we became super rebellious and a little bit militant when it came to this which meant if anybody mentioned anything about our body or if the first comment out of their mouth when they saw us had to do with how we looked we would immediately ask say can you no, or we would walk away. We or just we'd walk away. We weren't having it. We just were not having it. I want you to say I'm happy to spend time with you, and I want you to honor my presence as a human soul before you worry about how I look. And so, like, I didn't even want you to tell me that I look beautiful. We went to that. Yeah, we got to that. I point. didn't want to hear shit about yeah. my appearance because I was so sick and tired of being have being forced to really have my whole life revolve around my appearance that I just I couldn't do it anymore and it had to be about something deeper yeah because when when it's such a vulnerable topic for you like it was for us even when people tell you it's beautiful your ego is so wounded when it comes to that particular theme that being told that you're beautiful is almost like a drug a false sense of reassurance because then what comes around the corner of that is oh I have to make sure that I stay this way so immediately fear comes in out around the corner following that comment and you're kind of right back in the cycle so we just wanted to leave the conversation alone out do not bring it near me I we were just would, weren't having any of it and <laughs> the two of us together 
We will go in and break all kinds of cultural norms, we, whatever we, family you plot us down in. We whipped our family into shape. Seriously. Oh, it, my friends are still like, how did, how do you do that? How did you get like, nobody comments anymore? And I mean, look, you know, family members try to creep in comments here and there, but we still stick to the same boundary. We just don't want to talk about it because it took up such a big part of our, for me, honestly, I guess preteen, teen years on into my 20s it's been my 20s have been all about healing because healing didn't happen overnight same honestly even last year each year I reach a new level of accepting of my body and it's it's a never-ending cycle and it's a constant thing that we keep an eye on you monitor and you have to be we have to be so willing to as Paula said fight all of the norms because we're speaking a lot from, you know, Colombians, the Colombian culture. However, it is also extremely prevalent. I mean, look it's at this kind of worldwide. Look at Victoria's Secret. Look at all of the women that you see on the screen. They typically all look very European, very skinny, very t- like th- there's one look, right? So you're fighting it from all angles of your woman. And that's another thing is I was so sick and tired of being equate my for my worth being equated to how I looked. And it just had to be, I had to wake up every morning and decide that, you know, it's like you got to rebel against all of these norms every single day. You really do. And you can't. And I made myself eat exactly what I wanted all the time. Zero restrictions. Even if people were like, that's really unhealthy. I'd be like, great. Like I wanted to train myself that I could be as free as I possibly could be and I would be fine. And then sooner than later, it slowly started morphing in my relationship to my body and my relationship to food calmed down. And I was able to really separate myself from the eating disorder. It wasn't the epicenter of your existence. Not at all. It was just, you know, it was still there sometimes like you, like you said with yours, but you're able to nip it in the bud. And then from there, I was really able to see, my body and food and all of these things like kind of like an art form it wasn't anything that was going to control me it just your worth wasn't dependent on it the way it used to so so that changes the game at all and it started being something that food is something that's delicious and and I eat now what makes me feel good and that's why I talk a lot about the different diets that I do on here quote unquote diets, right? I don't even like that. I don't word. like it either. Like lifestyles. It, yeah. Nutritional experiments. My, they are nutritional experiments. They are. I, you know, I, cause for at this point for you, it's all, it's about health. It's about how which I is the feel. difference. It's about trying to sleep. It's about sustainability. Yeah. So if sugar doesn't make, make me feel great, I'm not going to eat it. Yeah. I do what makes me feel good and what makes me feel the most liberated within my mind, my soul and my body And I would also say that lately, my journey now is very much with decolonizing my own body. That's the next step is taking my body back. And because my body belonged to, as a woman, my body belonged to the streets. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like, explain (laughs) what you mean by this. (laughs) Like, it was dependent on the male gaze the male gaze that was the conditioning is of men find you beautiful you know and it was dependent on what the modeling career like being good enough for certain industries 
That's tough. And I quit all of that. And now that's kind of like my active rebellion is doing whatever I want with my body, what feels good and praising it because it's mine. Yeah. My thing. So my thing has, again, been morphing over the years. I also reached that point where I said, "Uh uh-uh, no more diets. I'm I'm done with this. And the fascinating thing is, the irony is, that when you don't do that anymore and it just becomes a lifestyle, your body actually finds a really solid set point for you that usually looks good. Yes. Your body knows what weight it wants to be. When you're not constantly trying to control that and you just trust it and it's not the epicenter of your worth anymore. So food isn't your obsession. Your body finds a set point. It really does. But for me, it went beyond weight because I my anxiety also I you know, we talk about body dysmorphia when I I noticed that whenever I would get really stressed, this is something I gained more insight into over the years whenever I would get more stressed I would find body parts to hate literally hate to the point that I felt like my whole body was crawling with bugs and I started to realize it's something that happens when I'm stressed out when I feel like the rest of my life is coming out of control and this is something that I can say has been true for the body dysmorphia clients that I've worked with just you know how for some people when if if what you struggle with is maybe generalized anxiety or having control over your schedule when life starts to feel chaotic you might double down on your routine and just become super rigid about it what would happen for me is that I would become very rigid about my appearance and like hate it and somehow you know it's a quirky thing and then I I reached this point where I realized that by doing that that part of me that wanted to compare myself to other women would start to then feel insecure because when when it comes to body dysmorphia one of the compulsions is checking so that means constantly looking at how other people look to compare to see if like if to, to just see if you're okay and so I would find myself at the gym constantly checking out other women's facial features to just to see the difference and it it's super distressing and then I reached a point where, well, and this is in, Valentina, in my opinion, right, has more European features than I do. I have a little bit more of the indigenous Colombian background. In my opinion, this is my experience of my my facial structure. And I started finding myself comparing myself to Valentina to the point that I envy started creeping through and little, I, little ways, little insidious ways of putting her down started coming through and she called me out for this because this is what sucks when we don't kind of keep our own envy or jealousy or insecurity in check we end up end up taking it out on the people around us and so she called me out for this and that was that was a huge turning point for me because I that's when I realized like wow this thing whatever it is is now having me it's to the point that now I'm putting down other women and women that I love. And I, I, that was a huge turning point. I was just like, no, like, no, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm literally not doing this anymore. And I started getting angry at it. And I, I so I had to do a whole kind of psyche 
change. I, I said, I'm not playing this game anymore. The colonization of my mind has gone far enough because if you, for example, look at all the magazines and what we grew up looking at, it was a very, like Valentino was saying earlier, Eurocentric kind of generic look. And if you don't look exactly like that, a lot of women end up hating themselves because if that's what's glorified, then you don't know. But after I reached that point with my sister, I said, I was just like, whoa, like I'm not, this isn't cool anymore. And I started the mirror thing, for example, I started to challenge where I would, if I looked at myself in the mirror before, I would always look to see what was wrong. That was just kind of the compulsion to kind of uh, get rid of my anxiety or manage it. So I started doing this thing where I would look in the mirror to look for what was right. And anytime that I was going to engage with the mirror, I was going to look for what was right. And I was going to look at my whole face and I was going to like, and I was going to love it. And little by little that started to change. I started to look up other women who looked more like me. I started to look at images of them. I started, and, and as I looked at images of them, I was no longer looking for what was wrong. I was looking for what was right, what was beautiful about them. I started looking at images of tribal women. I started looking at images of women in their natural setting. And little by little by little, I started to decolonize my mind, honestly, and come into loving the fleshy imperfection of who I am and not to say there's not moments where that that super sterile magazine ideal image voice comes in to try to say something to me but switch out IG account yeah magazine yeah IG account and and filters and all that and it's just for me at this point it's just about keeping it in check and making sure that I'm celebrating my body and my appearance in whatever way and it's crazy. I honestly feel like when I did that, when that breakthrough happened for me, I feel like I started to glow. Like I started to enjoy the best parts of who I was and just love myself because this is my body. This is my body. It's not about comparing it to other women. And also, as we do that work within ourselves, we can celebrate how everybody else's beauty shows up. And that's the ironic part too, right? Where just how with eating, when you stop restricting yourself, your body evens out, right? And you look probably how you always wanted to look. And not in most all cases, I don't know like the data on that, but generally speaking. Yeah, because it's like solid set point. Side note, whenever I dieted, I was the heaviest I ever was. Same. Just throwing that out there. Yeah. And also going forward. So and just like when you accept your own beauty and you really start seeing your own beauty and loving yourself, you really become more beautiful because how many, I think so. No, you really do. I really do think so. You start glowing. Your energy just takes over. How many women do you know that are beautiful, but they're, it's, it, you can't really appreciate it and see it all the way because they don't see it in themselves. So it doesn't shine all the way. It feels very suppressed. And then when you see someone else that maybe isn't like, quote unquote, the typical IG, I mean, I don't know. That's hard to me because I, you know me, I love people who look super quirky and different. Yeah, but we're talking about the prototype that IG, plastic surgery, whatever, however you define the beauty that stands out to you. Yeah, it's going to be different for but everybody. But the, the one that kind of you can appreciate and just love and dive into the most is 
when the energy really matches that. Yeah, it's so true. I It's so true. I mean, and this is something we've all experienced. Maybe not all of us, but maybe a lot of us <laughs> is when you're you, you might meet somebody that you don't necessarily right away find that attractive and then you start talking to them and they become the sexiest human on the planet because of the energy that they're walking around with and that energy is rooted in self-love and at this point practicing self-love is an act of resistance against the systems of oppression of this country and of the world amen it really is you know, if when we don't love ourselves, we bring each other down. And men, that is not what we need. We need sisterhood. We need brotherhood. We need humanhood. <laughs> Connection. And side note, I know we were just talking about women because we are women, but this is very much also with men. So yeah. I don't want you guys to feel, if you're a man listening to this, that you are taken out of this conversation like I hope you you can see yourself in us and in this story because these are really narratives that live all throughout the world through the ge- different genders. Eating disorders are not... And body dysmorphia. And body dysmorphia. It happens in men just like it happens in women. Fully. The men, the men side of it tends to be more so uh with strength and muscles and that kind of thing it's going to show again it's going to show up different for everybody there's so many different variations of what our mind is going to choose to focus on but it goes across all genders and non-genders alike so what would you say what, what, what advice would you give for someone who's currently in the midst of just they have a really disordered relationship with their physical appearance and with their food how do you start getting out of that? It's tough to give a blanket statement for that because it's going to be so different for everybody. And what the things that trigger it are are going to kind of vary. But I think what we touch upon in terms of really, if you are still on the yo-yo diet thing. Stop. <laughs> I'm serious. Really see if you can open up your mind to considering leaving that lifestyle. That's another thing that I really didn't like at that outpatient place is they wrote out uh, meals for me for the day and they would make sure that every single meal had a different food group in it. And I was too much thinking about it. It was so just that so much thinking you had to be so, so logical about it. And I got mad and I, I left that place and I was like, you know what? If I want to eat chocolate cake for breakfast and then broccoli as a snack, like I'm going to eat whatever I want, whatever I'm craving. And I started asking myself every time I got hungry, what do I want? What do you really want? What do I really want? That was so healing for me. Not what, you know, these doctors say I should be eating or what my my parents say I should be eating or my sister or what my friend. No, what do I like? What would make me feel so good and satisfied? And so I really started satisfying myself. So then I wouldn't want to reach out for more, reach out for less. That's what I did. And the no restrictions thing helped so much because I always knew that I was going to be there. I could have it today, tomorrow. I could have it at midnight. I could have it at 3 a.m. The time didn't matter. I took out all the rules, all the rules. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. And slowly but surely I started listening to my gut and asking myself what I wanted and it evened out. You know, you know how to eat. You know 
how to live intuitive yeah intuitive eating is the future of healing our relationship with food on this planet because our body knows our body knows so yeah that's that's the first step is to really challenge all these rules and challenge all these norms and challenge what the society is telling you is beautiful obviously side note if you're eating like if you're drinking alcohol at every meal because that's what you want i mean it's there's a balance to this there's i mean yeah there's a balance you know we make sure we all we all have to be real with ourselves at one point you know if if i'm only eating sugar all day long to the point that i can't even think straight that's not it either (laughs) <laughs> there's a balance here but your body's not even gonna want that but your body doesn't want that when your you- body doesn't want that even when i when i started down that path i was i i told myself okay i can have whatever i want and so for a while maybe i had to have cookies every single day but that went away you get tired of it when you can do it you you end up getting tired of it so counting calories being obsessed with what's included in every meal is not the way to freedom it's not it's not the way to freedom So, and also with body dysmorphia, what I learned is if I, if those thoughts creep back in to hate certain features of mine or to hate certain body parts, or if it starts to come back up, I take it now as a red flag that I'm stressed. So if that comes up, I'm like, hmm, okay. All right. What's going on, Psyche? What are you stressed out about? Do we need to slow down? Are you not resting enough? Right, what's really going yeah. on? Yeah, are you overbooking yourself? How are the relationships in your life? Are you upholding boundaries? Usually, there's something that is just feels really uncomfortable in my life, and I'm not looking at it, and so that's my brain's way of telling me I don't like what's happening, is those kind of hateful thoughts come in, and, um, and then I bring some love in by listening and doing whatever I need to do to bring some nurturing back into my life. And the love comes right back. So with body dysmorphia in particular and eating disorders too, stress will always amplify these things. Oh yeah. This is also why we always advocate the nap ministry. Rest. Rest. Rest is resistance. All right. We were as honest as we could be unfiltered. And obviously, you know, there is, probably there's more details that we are more than happy to talk about or answer if you guys have any follow-up questions if maybe we need to do a sequential podcast yeah to go deeper into any facet of what we spoke about today we're super happy to do that this is something that Paul and I both dealt with and as you have heard we take no shit like we're (laughs) we uh -uh, we're not here Uh -uh. we're not gonna stand for us having any kind of you know, hate towards ourselves or our bodies. And we also don't stand for other people having that towards themselves. So if there's anything, any more real that we could get with you guys to help you on that journey, we're here for it. We are so here for it. All right, you guys. Bueno, los queremos mucho. Los queremos mucho. Be kind to yourselves out there. We love you. Peace. Tune in every Monday at 6 a.m. EST. Ciao.